Hey everybody, welcome back. Um, we got Tim and Matt again. Um, <laughs> Mutt and Jeff. I'm a little bit, uh, I don't know, not as I don't. I would say not as polished. We got a lot going on, um, but we're going to be talking about some things today in connection with you know the, the stuff that we we've seen in the news in the last several days. You know, from Uvalde, and uh, we want to look at some scriptures about it, and uh, so. We're going to come back in a second. Go grab your Bible. Go to Second Peter chapter 2 and then join us and we'll have a, have a pretty interesting discussion, I hope. All right, so uh, if you're out there watching or you join in or you tune in to us today, um, maybe more than any other day, don't just give us a like, but comment, let us know you're there, um, and we actually would like to hear from you if possible. Um, when we first started talking about what we are going to talk about today, well, we didn't really know what we were going to talk about today because news events with Uvalde and yeah, and that uh, really just puts a big depressive state on just about everybody from fear to all kinds of things. And yeah. what do you do? Right, and you know, one of the things that we're always talking about is is seeing the world through through God's eyes or or even just through the eyes of how he sees things, through kingdom vision. We talk about it all the time. It's in everything that we do. Um, but it needs to have a practical application. Um, really one of the things that's been a fundamental basis for my ministry has always been, <clears throat> I want, I don't just want people, like I said, say if I was preaching a sermon to come, oh, that was great, Pastor, or whatever. But I want them to be able on, you know, Thursday afternoon to put, the teaching to work in their lives. And so there's a million questions that come up in situations where you have <clears throat> things like, like the situation you've all not, not the least of which is how can a good and sovereign God allow such things to happen? Yeah. Well, we're not going to be able to answer that question. And that's really not what we want to do. Well, it's not because we're not trying to answer the question. It's right. We don't have the answers for everything by a <laughs> long shot. And I mean for how God looks at it. But, but we do claim and we believe that God does. Oh, yes. And so some of the answer, as we're going to talk through this, I think, just right up front, is learning to struggle through it. Yeah. Because that is part of the answer. I don't like that part of the answer. And that's kind of what we're going to look at. Second Peter kind of addresses that some, and that's what we were going to look at. Yeah, well, and and what I told Tim earlier today <clears throat> was, and that's something I've been ever since the events happened, and it's something that we've struggled with as a family since, you know, with Brenna and other things in our lives, of why do certain things happen? How do I deal with it? And how do I communicate the hope that we have in Christ to other people that ask, you know, scriptures tell us to always be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies in you. <laughs> well, and what I said to Tim earlier was, I know these things down in my soul. I'm, I see things like Uvalde, and I don't lose hope. 
I don't find myself in despair. Um, my daughter gets sick, nearly dies, and I have friends who have had children who have passed, and they don't find themselves in despair. And so there's things that we know in our spirit and in our heart, and I believe it's from the Holy Spirit um, ministering to us, but how do you communicate that? Because what the flesh is looking for, and I, I made a statement a while ago that I, I believe the Spirit just gave to me, is like the, the, re, the fact that we're all just looking for a, an answer. What do you do to fix it? What do you do to prevent it? What do you do about it? Not that those discussions are bad, but they're incomplete. Well, they're so this is looking at it from a big picture and trying to look at it at how God looks at it. And we can't come to that end conclusion of how he, it looks like he's sitting up and he watches this tragedy and it doesn't rattle him. Is I, I don't know, from my simplistic way of looking at it, uh, that he sees so far beyond it, those things are going to work out. It's not how it was ever intended to be. So don't don't get me wrong. He didn't set this up for us to start having a lot of issues. But by saying that, I know there is a much bigger issue. And also in these things, you can look back and say, these bring up the questions immediately, you know, well, why do we even have all these guns? Or uh, why do we not do this at the school? Or we should have been doing all this stuff. Uh, it really starts bringing yeah. out all kinds of stuff. And I, I say and everybody's that, got an opinion. And, about yeah, and everybody's got a stinking opinion. And, and that's not a bad thing. Uh, but what we find ourselves in and the way our society is working right now, and this is part of the thing that we're talking about, how's God looking at this? Uh, it's almost like you can't get anything done because what may be, if you took all the emotion out of it and all the opinions and something's done to counter it ever happening again or whatever, whatever that idea is, there's going to be a 50% opposition to it yeah. in every way you can think of. Right. Uh, and it doesn't matter which side of the fence you're talking about comes Somebody up with the idea or puts it. it. It's going to, and I mean venomously opposed. That's that's the society that we're in right now. And so uh, what step to take next in this conversation? I I'm, that's that's where I'm getting kind of lost. And this whole thing's really been well, perplexing. But, well, hold on. Uh but part of the conversation to have is kind of how we got into the situation we're in now. I'm talking yeah. about societally and not just the unbelievers. I'm talking about the believers too. Yeah. Well, and, and we've said this before, this may be an extended more than one day discussion um, because we do have to understand where we are, how we got here. And there's a, there's a divine, I call it a divine tension. You know, theologians will talk about it. Between God's sovereignty, is he in charge or not in charge, yeah. and the reality of what, then why do things happen? <clears throat> there is a camp that would say, well, I kind of believe God is sovereign, but he just turned the thing loose and he's not really in the business of preventing or healing or doing whatever. That's one camp. There's a thousand different camps. You know, but there is this tension between what it is that we believe and we immediately want to go to how do we solve the problem today and immediately because things like this do impact us in a very different way than they impact God. 
will impact the kingdom. The kingdom. So take okay. God is a person to be sure, but his way of doing things is the kingdom, I would say. And we live in that kingdom. And uh, right off the bat, that tension is real. And so when something transpires and we think it needs to transpire a different way or a better way, uh, that's where we jump off the track of the kingdom and we go into panic mode almost and try to do it by our own intellect. Right. And we've talked and we've talked a lot about various things, what people of Abraham, all the big players in the scriptures in a good way, how almost all of them have done something to perpetuate the kingdom when the kingdom never gave it that. Uh because they wanted to pursue this. So, so sometimes it's done in a good way and you find out it was kind of messed up. Well, and, and what we wanted to do today is kind of start a conversation and take a step back from what should we do about this situation? Because there's a thousand different suggestions and some of them are probably good ones. Yeah. Um, but really for me, the, the question comes into play, how does the believer respond? Hmm to these sorts yeah. of situations. How does a follower of Christ minister to people impacted? Let's just say it was in our hometown, God forbid. How would how would we reach out with hope? And I, I noticed the notice came to on Facebook, you know, the Southern Baptists of Texas are sending a bunch of ministers down to the to the valley to help with the, the victims' families and things. Great move. But that still begs the question, what message are we going to give to people? Not just these people, but people who, the loss of a child, sick loved one, chronic uh, disabilities, fill in the blank, tornadoes, tragedy, loss of, how do we, in the light of God's sovereignty, deal with people Well, and, and give them hope? Being two-dimensional beings as we are, you're right. We're looking for how do we respond? What can we actually do? The other side of that argument is, even though you may be doing good things or how they do it, or at least for me, I'm swirling around inside my head, where's the kingdom at and how is it working here? Why is it working here the way that it's working at? And at the same time, I'm looking at me relative to the kingdom. I'm thinking, there's nothing I can do. Right. And that's, uh, yeah, exactly. I, I'm, it, it's a wreck and I'm distraught but I'm still having to stand up and, and be friendly and, and deliver ministry. Uh, and you got to have both of those. And that's kind of where we're at. Matt's really good at looking at the really practical side. And I, I get stuck in the ethereal it's not, conceptual. It, it seems theoreal and conceptual, but, but it's it, actually always, reality. it, it, it patterns me at least what I'm going to do on the practical side of that. Well, and, and the reason that, that for me, it comes down to it feels a lot of times like some of the advice that I would give people or the encouragement I would give people, it sounds like there's no substance to it. You got to have faith. You got to keep yeah, yeah. faith over fear. And and we make t-shirts out of it and it feels very hollow. But for me, it's not hollow. Yeah. It's really not because, and I think it's because what we've been studying over in Hebrews, where even the temple was the shadow of the reality that was in heaven everything that we're experiencing down here is a shadow of yeah. something real. And so we, we work in the shadow, but we always want to be pushing to the real, you know, scriptures encourage us. What is it? Is it in second Corinthians that, that, uh, to focus on what is unseen and not on what is seen. 
And that's our admonition. Well, and that's where it starts getting confusing sometimes. And that's we're two-dimensional, and that's not. And that's why it seems ethereal. It seems concept and theory. Yeah. And it seems hollow because we're looking for something concrete. But the scriptures will declare to us, no, what's real, what really is concrete, is the unseen stuff that's past yeah. the circumstance. Yeah. So, so it seems hollow. It seems theory only. But really, for the believer, what I want to do today is is kind of jump up and down and beat the table and say, this is an awful, terrible act of evil violence. But the way the believer must encounter and interact with situations like this and of a thousand million different other kinds of tragedy or whatever is to push past what we can see and realize that doing that will cause us to get into God's face, into the unseen, and have to deal with it, which is why, you know, Tim brought us to 2 Peter chapter 2. And what we're going to, I think if you want to do this, we're going to read through some of it and talk about, you made a statement, I don't know if it was on camera or off, that dealing with difficult situations that there's no concrete answer to, and yet there's tragedy and heartache, is not lost on Peter. At this stage in yeah, his life. Yeah, and so we'll read some of it, but I encourage you to go spend some time this week reading really the whole book. You can read whole second Peter, uh, but but chapters two and three, he's addressing a believer's walk in the midst of absolute turmoil right. in this life. And that means all the moral issues that are going all up in the air, all that stuff. None of that's new. Everything that we're dealing with right now. It's not even remotely new, but we're living in it, so it's a big deal. Well, and this right might now. take us several weeks. It might. Um, but what I, I think we can do is, you know, because Second Peter chapter two is pretty long. I don't know that I mean, we're not going to do it all today. But um, hey, we got Cilicia and hey Brack and Allison. You guys, thanks for commenting. Y'all, please do that so we know you're out there. We're going to walk through some of Second Peter two. And we'll just stop as we get to places and talk about what it looks like for a believer to walk through tumultuous times. And I think it's important for us to discuss it because one of the core things that Tim and I teach almost everywhere we go and everything we do, because the scriptures declare that around the presence of the Lord is turmoil. It is a, he describes the area around him as a tempest and a raging storm. Not that it's... It's not, in from a kingdom perspective, it's not a raging storm. He says that because from where we're, we're at, standing, in dealing with like. him, it seems like this raging storm that takes place. Right, because we can't, we can't fathom, articulate, and deal with the realities that we, where the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of men collide a lot of times. Yeah, because the kingdom ways will upend earthly ways every time. every single time, and to us it feels like everything's out of control. While he's speaking to us from the bush, as it were, going, "Just trust me, just trust me." <laughs> yeah. And so, well, let's let's start reading. In Second Peter chapter two, verse one, he says, "There were indeed false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you." And they will bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, and will bring swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow depraved ways, and the way of the truth will be maligned because of them. So he's, he's just speaking that even in your own... Now, he's speaking in, within the body. 
Yeah. And that's important to note is that it's not just that there's goofy chaos out in the world and we've got everything all together. He's saying within the body of Christ, there's going to be this dark truth. They're going to do these things. They will exploit you in their greed with made-up stories. Their condemnation, pronounced long ago, is not idle, and their destruction does not sleep. That's important. You were talking about that a while ago. In our desire for something to be done now, what do we want? I want justice. Whether it's practical or the abstract, I, I want justice to be yeah. done here. And you get... 50 people in a room and you'll probably have 50 ideas on what real justice <laughs> looks like. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I would probably agree with some of them, disagree with some of them. And Tim and I would probably agree and disagree on some of them on what justice looks like. But what verse three does for me is reminds me, um, that we're not in charge of the justice yeah. at the kingdom level. Now, we may have been delegated the earthly right and uh, responsibility through government. What we would call the practical end of it. Exactly. Really, the other one is the practical end of it, but Agreed. we have to deal with it where we are. And and he's saying here, there, look at his, but the words that he used, their condemnation, which was pronounced long ago, who is their condemnation? He's specifically speaking about these false teachers that would come in and jack up the church. He says... It's not idle. That means it's not. Um, God's ignoring it. It's not. Yeah, it's not that he's ignoring it, but their destruction does not sleep. It, our vernacular would say they're going to get theirs. Uh, and I would tell you they're getting it now, but but that's anyway, a different that, that's, that's a different, different yeah. part of the story. He says, "For if God didn't spare the angels who sinned, but cast them into hell and delivered them in change of utter darkness to be kept for judgment." And if he didn't spare the ancient world, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, when he brought the flood on the world of the ungodly, and if he reduced the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes and condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is coming to the ungodly, and if he rescued righteous Lot, distressed by the depraved behavior of the immoral for as that righteous man lived among them day by day, his righteous soul was tormented by the lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Okay, let me stop because he's saying yeah. if he did this and he did this and he did this and he did this. He's giving examples. If he did all these things, verse 9, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. Man, that's looking at it at a really big picture, and we're not interested in waiting on the big, big picture. picture. And so I want to bring up a couple of uh, applications here, or at least what it looks like and how we as a Christian body, or even just me as an individual, deal with all the nuts going on out there. And, and what we perceive as moral righteousness or things like that, and we could list off a whole lot of stuff, and it'd be kind of funny. Because if I listed out some things that are, you know, moral issues, uh, the Christians would start going, well, you, you mean you're judging this? or Just whatever comes out of my mouth, and it would be a perception, right? And so I have, I've said it before in here, I have a real problem with saying that Lot was righteous. Because when you read the stories in Genesis, 
Genesis, he did some bad stuff. Yeah, so Genesis 13, you know, he's with uh, Abraham, and they split ways, basically, and really not in a bad way. They just, yeah, you know. we've they, covered that. They, they, so we, we've covered that. And and we talked about how Lot looked down and he saw Sodom and Gomorrah. It was in the valley, so the ground's fertile. I mean, that was the good land, so to speak. And uh, that's where he went. And whether he knew it was a decadent place or not, I have no idea. Doesn't really matter. But we find out in Genesis, uh, wrote it down, 19. <laughs> uh, we see Lot's, God decides to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. It's a pretty familiar story. Uh, God's guys don't really know how to say it. You know, angels, whatever you want to call them. But he knew they were kingdom people when they walked in there. And he immediately went into a panic. Yeah. Uh, trying to, because the people in the city wanted to go take these guys and have sexual relations with them. And on a side note, I kind of think they knew who they were too, but yeah. they didn't care. Right whole different discussion but uh so and i have to tell the story a little bit just to talk about the mindset of lot is a christian god following guy right and he's living in a in a cesspool of an environment and so when god shows up in the terms of these guys showing up here he just panics and he tries to get them in he offers up his own family so that right. these guys don't get so you see what happens to us especially when uh turmoil and things are going nuts and it says that when they showed up got lot was sitting in the gate of the city right and in old testament terms that means he was recognized as somebody that had some wisdom and that kind of thing uh who knows i don't know if he was the mayor of the city or whatever we want to put in our vernacular our terms but whatever it was it all went nuts when those guys showed up the truth of god right. showed up and everything they were actually came to the top right and so uh, so Lot panics, pulls him in the house. He's doing crazy things like offering his daughters up uh, for these guys to take them instead of them. And he comes and tells them, God's destroying this city. Get your family and get out of here. Keep talking. I'm going to fix your mic. Oh. Your, it's backwards. Make sure your front is muffled. Getting all excited, I guess. button right there and it'll be okay. I don't have to. Um, so my point is, is that God shows up, tells Lot, get out of here. Get your family and get out of here. Uh, I can't hold this back. And Lot, I don't know, he tried to go to someplace close, and they were like, no, no, no. Y yeah. You need to get out of here. So he leaves. Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah is destroyed. Uh, the famous function of his, they said, don't ever look, don't look back. And his wife stops and looks, and she turns into a pillar of salt. Uh, he hides in some caves with his daughters. His daughters get him drunk because they think they can't have husbands or anything anymore because everything just got destroyed. And they want Lot's family to go forward. So they get him drunk and sleep with him. I mean, you talk about depredation of the first order. Uh, this is the guy that Peter says is a righteous guy. A and he, righteous and he, guy. And he, he describes him, for as that righteous man lived among them day by day, his righteous soul was tormented by the lawless deeds that he saw and heard. And a simple mind would say, well, he should have just moved out of there. Don't know why he didn't, and that's not wrong advice. But while he lived there, I don't know, he probably thought like the rest of us. You know, I can sit here and I can do God's work, and we're going to influence this, and we're going to change it up. Uh, and in that line, you start compromising things. 
So yeah. Lot may not have been compromised, but his family was being fed this stuff, and we see the evidence of it when he left. Well, there's like I've heard people say before, everyone is being discipled by something, somewhere, some ideology. Every human being is being discipled. And I'm not trying to judge Lot. It sounds like I am. We're just because, stating the truth of what it well, is. Well, I'm old enough to know that I've raised my family. I did everything right, right? You did the best you knew how to do. Well, at the time, I thought I was doing it right, right. and what was going to befall my kids wasn't going to be what all these other people were going through. Right. Wrong. And I'm sure some of you can feel that and understand that. And so what I'm trying to give you a picture here of is that if Lot was a righteous guy by the declaration of the Scripture, yet we see what happens to his family, yet we know that where he was living, many things in this bigger picture I was talking about earlier is that we lightly start letting things come in that we know is not right. And it's not about being able to muscle them out and not deal with them. Some of that's true. But in the end, do you believe God and is your faith sound enough to fight with it in your head even though you don't know how to deal with it out here? Well, and for me, one of the things, and and there's there's a ton more in this text, but our flesh immediately goes to what do we do to fix it? What do we do to prevent it from ever happening again? And how do we bring justice? Just like Lot's flesh immediately when confronted with the potential for destruction, the men of God, the kingdom of God is, what am I going to do to make this situation better right now? I'm going to offer my daughters. I'm going to run away to this place. Everybody had a plan. He had a plan. And that's where we head. And that, and I'm, and some of those things are good things. You need to respond to situations. I'm not saying yeah, that. Yeah, you don't. But you, I want to step back and say, but there's a fundamental thing as a believer to get squared away, I, I would say first, or to, to focus on. Well, Peter is talking about that. Hold on a second, because there's one more scenario I want to throw out here, and it's recent. There's a lot of stuff going around about Southern Baptists hiding sexual misconduct and all that kind of stuff. Every church function on the planet has had that. And I'm not blowing it off. Big report came out a couple of weeks ago. But there was, there's been a video going around of a church. I think it was in Dallas. I don't know where it was. Anyways, pastor gets up and he says, hey, I've got to ask for forgiveness here. There's a lady who's actually in our church that I had an inappropriate relationship 20 years ago when she was a teenager. And uh lady's still in the church. Uh, and he ended up telling, I've done this and my wife's forgiven me and my family, all this, and, and I'm resigning. Wow. I hadn't seen that. Uh, well, but a lot of people have got on that, that video. It was actually a news story too. Um, and rightfully so to some extent the justice, but it also blows up the church. A lot of people are holding us up going, see, they, they're a bunch of derelict morons, too. And a lot of Christians are going, you know, weak, I'll call say weak Christians. I really don't like that term because that's not really what I'm thinking. Uh, yeah, we need to throw all this mess out. We've talked about some of this, too. Um, but they, so a big chunk of people are crucifying this guy, right? And I understand why. Uh, did he do what was right? He was... 
he was cleaning it up as it was, and he was dealing with the circumstances of it. I have no idea if his wife and family and them are all have really done this. Uh, the lady that was in the church, uh, she kind of stood by him, but in that same service, she went up and got the mic and said uh, something to the effect of, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, well, she was dealing with a lot of stuff that, uh, you know, they took it like he was going, see, I've cleaned up and everything's great. Nothing's going to happen to me. And they came in and they were like, no, I had to deal with this and you did this and it was wrong. And this rage right. for justice. And she was right. And uh, uh, anyway, it's this big thing flying up in the air again, right? And we're all susceptible to that. It's easy to look at that and go, I'm not justifying the guy. I'm not justifying the guy at all. But it is easy. There's probably something in every one of our lives, whether we knew to bring it out or we didn't know, that if somebody else knew about it, everything you are in your walk with Christ in their mind is gone. Mm. And nothing can redeem that and from their point of view. That's not really what's happening in the kingdom. But that's the turmoil we live in. Because we're trying to get the answers in our own intellect versus trying to sit back and look. And so I wanted to bring up that scenario and Lot's scenario. Because when you read what Peter's doing here, it's almost like he's reading it going, listen, all this stuff is going to happen. And it's been happening since the creation because he talked about life before Noah, right? And so it's nothing, he's saying there's nothing, he's speaking from the godly perspective is how Peter's looking at this. And what he's not And that's a trained function. And what he's also not doing is dismissing evil. He's not Like it doesn't have consequences or like nothing needs to happen. It's it's not a mutually exclusive thing. Yeah. It's a both and. And there may be, I always go back to King David. He's still considered a man for God's own heart. He did find forgiveness before the Lord. Oh, and he still held was held to the consequences of his actions. Extreme consequences. As was his progeny and his lineage. Yes. To this day, thousands of years later, they're still paying at some level with the wars and conflict and the sword yeah. not departing. So it's not that that sort of justice and even re- re- retri- punitive even. Uh, retributive is the word I'm trying to get out of my mouth um, to pay retribute. But uh, it's it's not that they don't exist, but there's an additional layer that the, the believer has to f- look at, and it is a trained function. And part of what he's doing in Second Peter chapter 2 is, look at this, this crazy junk is going to happen. Lot lived in a crazy jacked up place, and his soul was vexed by what he saw. You may be out there watching and looking at the world around us, and your soul is vexed. I mean, you're like, you're grieved in your spirit. And if somebody were to tell your story, my story, Tim's story, it might read more like lots than somebody else's. And yet, within the middle of that turmoil, we can still be declared somehow righteous before God because we, we see that as an example. Of, of what's happening here. And in the first part of Second Peter, Peter's a great example because he's just a redneck like the rest of us, uneducated, all that kind of thing. But in the first part of Second Peter, he 
he he rails in a good way over God and what God does. And then he says, but this is what you need to bring to the table. Yeah. And so when I, I brought that up because I said, this is a trained explanation, not academically trained, though there is that. Experientially trained. It's the spirit trained. In other words, he is able to see and understand what's really going on in the kingdom, which gives him the strength to be able to measure what, how to really take this stuff. Mm-hmm. And we see that in him and Peter in the book of Acts as they're going through all the things spreading Christianity and they're getting thrown in prison, they're getting beat up, these miraculous things are happening. And they get up every time they get beat to death and they just keep doing it and it's like they're rejoicing. We go, man, I wish I could do that. That's because they have a spirit-trained, I'll say a spirit-trained intellect. And it takes time and a deliberate action. So when Peter's saying, these are the things you need to bring to the table, that's because that's where the Lord is growing you. And that perspective begins to get light on it so that you can deal with this crazy stuff when it comes up and check, at least for me, when I want to rage out and, and fix it right now, I can see it for what it really is sometimes. And I can sit back and say, you know what? This. I need to be working on this in a different light because I'm looking at it from a bigger picture. I can't solve that. Well, what I've, what I've seen around the blogosphere and on Facebook and, and things is even in the Christian realms, everybody's praying, looking for the, an, the answer for what to do. God knows what to do here. Let's seek his face and get the answer of what to do. Yeah. I wouldn't even disagree that he does know. Okay. But there's a bigger thing at stake for me in times like this that I have to remind myself. And I see it in Second Peter. And, and it's in that, that, that part where he says, they're dis- when he's talking about the destruction of the unrighteous is not idle and it's, it's out there. What, in our vernacular, what he might be saying is true justice has not been put aside. Yeah. But true justice is in the hands of, of a divine, sovereign, good father. And not spend your mental energy forcing yourself to look at that. That's going in the face of God's what that's doing. Yes, because I, if I don't have, hey, Lester, hey, Victor, if I don't have my face in God's face, what I'm really going to find myself doing is trying to fix the crazy chaos of our world on my own logic and my own wisdom out of my own heart, which the Bible tells me is wicked above all yeah. things, and out of my own heart, according to the book of James, is where all of my temptation, sin, and ultimate demise will come from. So the source material for everything that I have apart from the Lord is going to fail and fail miserably. And it's really easy to get in the wake of things like this tragedies, even personal tragedies, much less mass tragedies or national tragedies or whatever, and start to question the goodness of God, the sovereignty of God or whatever, because we can't logically, practically work out in our mind how all of this works. Because to us, it feels like the judgment is idle. It feels like the destruction has been put away and set aside. This is a reminder that there, as Lamb would say in the the Narnia movies, there's deeper magic at work is the way he would put it at the table. And, 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 and I think about that analogy that he wrote in there because there are greater and grander things 
not in the sense of value or bigger, but just there's a bigger picture of the kingdom that's at work here. And frankly, every time I try to articulate this, what, what it frustrates me. Oh yeah. Because I feel hopeful. I don't feel like hope is all lost in the wake of things like this as wicked and vile as they are as real as the hurt and the tragedy is. I, I still feel hopeful and I don't have the, the words and the ability to communicate that we were talking. Part of that is because that hope is something that can only be fully communicated by the Holy spirit. Yeah. And so I, I feel hopeful in the face of tragedy. We've experienced a fair share of it in our family. And I can't, people are like, how do you get through it? How do you stand? How do you deal with this thing or that thing? And, and people who are in their own tragedy always want to know that. They, we get asked that a lot. And, and I find myself going, I, I don't know. I don't know how, how that is. Um, I hope we didn't just go off the air. I think we're still going. Um, I, I don't always know exactly how to say that. I say goofy, stupid things like, it just is. I just know. Well, just... the farther you are from the kingdom, the more that looks like a bunch of hooey. Yeah. And we all want to be able to, or actually, let's talk to the Christians. So uh, I am saved, and I do follow the kingdom. And when some tragedy comes up, you know, I'm wherever you are in your walk. If you're early in your walk, you may want to come in and make uh, uh make some hard justice go on. And I would tell you, just keep flowing with that, but keep in your mind, let's try to figure out what the king is thinking in this thing. And that's not saying you don't do anything. Uh, I can't tell you how to fix these school things. I'm actually in the security world, and I actually, you know, I was in a policeman for a long time. A lot of you know that. And, you know, if, if I'm in an instance where something like that is, it'd probably just be gut trained response. You know, I'm going to go storm it in there and something's going to get changed, but I can't go make those, the, the dictates of how the whole system is supposed to be done. Unless yeah. I'm in that place, God puts me there or others put me there. I don't know. Uh, but to sit around worrying about that. And it is a worry. I mean, even yeah. here we have a school and I'm sure there's a lot of people going, man, I'm, I don't know if I want to go to school today or send my kids. I get that. Get every bit of it. That doesn't stop God and who he is and what he's doing in your life. That may be a circumstance where he's going, look over here. Trust me. And and I feel I don't feel silly, but people look at me like I'm being silly sometimes oh, yeah. when we when we give advice or encouragement like just trust him. But here's a, here's the analogy. There was a time when for for Brenna the absolute worst thing on the planet that we had to do was go get her blood drawn. Mm. Her veins are little, they roll, and they're crooked. They don't run in straight lines. And so it's really hard to get an IV in. It's really hard. We spent a time in a hospital one time, and I'm not exaggerating. They took two hours mm. poking every place they could think of to try to get blood till finally a doctor came in, put the stop to it and had to do i don't know what it's called but went into her into her jugular vein to get blood right wow i almost went to jail that day i, I was bet. so angry so what happens is this we would take her in 
to get her blood drawn. And they would strap her to this board, a backboard, and tie her down. And then one of us would lay across her and hold on to her to keep her on the board, on the table, while they're poking and prodding and she's screaming at the top of her lungs. Because she's hurting, she doesn't understand it. To her, it's absolute torture. Yeah. And I'm whispering in her ear, it's okay. You just need to trust me, baby. It's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. You got to trust me. You got, you've got to do this. Yeah. And we've got, and then once it's over and the good from whatever we were doing comes. Yeah. It sucks to be that guy while she's looking at you going, why won't you stop this? Why won't you stop? Now, in that particular situation, it's because there was something good but painful that had to come. And I'm not saying these tragedies are something good that had to, to happen. And That's not the analogy. Yeah. The analogy, because that's a very different thing, the analogy is she couldn't understand if I loved her, why I wouldn't stop it. And the only response I could give her that she even really couldn't understand is I just need you to trust me. Just, just trust me. I'm not, and in that case, I was saying it's for your own good, but in God's case, he's saying, I just need you to trust me. And I want to close with, with this and jump to second Peter three, Tim, you pointed these verses out starts in verse three. And uh, I don't know where we want to go to. Where'd you give me to while ago? Was it through five? Yeah, that probably three and four is enough. He says, above all, be aware of this. Scoffers will come in the last days, scoffing and following their own evil desires, saying, where is his coming that he promised? Ever since our ancestors fell asleep, all things continue as they have, or as they have been since the beginning of creation. There will be those, and you may even find your heart sometimes being one of those. And what he's saying here is, is where is God? He didn't do what he said he was going to do. Right. Yeah. Where is God? Where is he? he said he was going to come back and fix this, and where he's not. He calls them scoffers. And that's scoffing in our own heart. Yeah. That's why my heart is only evil continually and can't be trusted, because yeah. my heart goes there sometimes. He says they deliberately overlook this. By the word of God, the heavens... He says... Here's something that people who believe that and ask those scoffers, here's what they're overlooking. And I want to tell you in my own heart, when I get into that place, here's what I'm overlooking. By the word of God, the heavens came into being long ago, and the earth was brought about from water and through water. Through these, the world of that time perished when it was flooded. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are stored up for fire being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Dear friends, don't overlook this one fact. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day, and the Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but that all would come to repentance. Hmm. The encouragement that I want to give out today, and I'm glad you took us to that passage of Scripture, is he's saying God is not idle. He's not turning a blind eye. 
the very same word that brought the ancient and current worlds into being. That very same word, he says, is storing up. He's going to put it right again. That's the faith that we've got to have. Hey, Shauna, that's the faith that we've got to dig into before we go figuring out the practical. We've got to push back through what we can, what we can see into what we can't see past the shadow into the reality and get our faces focused on his face and remember and declare, I know you made promises. I know that, that you are good. I know that you are righteous and you are holy and you're holding all of this stuff in your hands. Now, by your spirit, teach us what we need to do in the practical today. Yeah. We want to get that backwards. And even some will say God's not real, but he says they're scoffers. And they've forgotten that God's word by his mouth in, first, in, chapter, in John chapter 1 spoke it into existence. He is sovereign. At the end of the day, we were just sitting here talking before we got on the air. People look to the Christian community, explain this to me. How can a good God do these things? Why did he let this? Why did he let this event happen? That event happen? Why did my loved one get taken? Why did this? Why did that? And there's, the short answer is, is I don't know. Yeah. The short answer is I don't know. But I know he says we have promises. And the Bible calls them great and wonderful promises. And it's this is a reminder, and I love the way Tim said it, it's a seasoned reminder mm. of having been through incredible heartache, beating, incredible loss, James being killed by the sword, you know, while you were freed from prison. Yeah. You know, this is that guy. Why did he get, why did I get to live and James had to die? You don't think he dealt with that? Yeah. Why did why God? What this is the guy that's dealt with those sorts of things. Why did you heal the guy that fell out of the window or or why did you heal Lazarus but you didn't heal this person? You know, he's dealt with those things. Yes. And his response to it is don't forget who's in control. Yeah. Before we try to figure out what to do and how to do and what to make sense of it all, if we take all of those things, that logic and wisdom that we think we have in this world, and we divorce it from who God is, we're going to fail. And, and so, you're going to be miserable too. And so my encouragement was simply to what we always, we do talk about the same stuff all the time. It's just the <laughs> truth. It's been brought to our attention. And, uh, but there are some fundamental truths that run through every single story in this book. And that is when you, not even just when you don't know what to do, but even when you do know what to do, we got to stick our faces into his face and deal with him on an eternal level. Yep. And that is a learned thing. It is a maturity thing. And if you're just out there going, I'm just not there, then that's a perfect opportunity to get on your face before God and just cry out to him. Tell him how you feel. He can handle it and, yeah. and, and seek his face. Any any closing thoughts? No. Guys, Go out there and deal with the struggle. Life is hard on this earth, but he tells us one of these days it's going to get better. And it's not just a hang on by the grit your teeth and by your own might and your strength. When you realize you don't have the strength to do it and it's all the spirit, then we've done something. Yeah. Then you've gotten to a place. 
We love you. I'm going to jump off camera here for a second. You wave like the lady on uh, the Beverly Hillbillies, and i got to oh, turn the screen yeah. off because Sean's not here. Sean's not here, so we got to turn it off ourselves. Bye.